are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. But I see people out in the woods on hybrid bikes. I see kids on kids' bikes. So the trails have really been created to welcome everybody, not just kind of that hardcore mountain bike population. But the feel of the town, surprisingly, even though uh, the native population is few, is still remarkably the same. The people that have arrived really care for the community and they care for the way it looks and the feel of it and, and it is neighborly. This all really comes from an experience I had a few years ago in, on uh, Islesboro, where I had gone with my kids and wanted to explore the island. And I set out to explore it via car and realized I really wasn't seeing all the island. Neither did I have time to walk it or run it, so I pulled my bike off my car and I biked around the island and was able to go down all these great dirt roads and down toward the beach. I was able to experience a lot more of the island than I would have ever been able to experience in a car or have time to on foot. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog, of orthopedic specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 39, Wheels, which is airing for the first time on June 10th, 2012. With me in the studio today, I have Genevieve Morgan, my co-host and wellness editor for Maine Magazine. Hi, Genevieve. Hi, Lisa. Happy bicycle show day. (laughs) (laughs) Happy bicycle show day. Well, isn't, couldn't every day potentially be a bicycle show day? Well, I think that's what we're trying to get across to everybody. Well, we talk a lot about health and wellness, and we've had a running show. We've talked to the Maine Island Trails Group. We've um, talked to the Maine Hudson Trails. I mean, there's so much out there, and we don't have to get around necessarily by boat or on foot. We can also go on wheel. And we're lucky that way that we live in a state where there are communities where we really can commute back and forth on two wheels, not four. I used to commute back and forth from my house to my office in Yarmouth, and it was less than two miles. And, you know, on a day where it was rush hour, which in Yarmouth is not very often, um, I could, it would be much quicker for me to just go right through on my bicycle, of course, following traffic rules. So there is there is that commuting aspect, and there is that environmental aspect to being on a bike. Um, there's also the sort of joy of being outside and the feeling of the the wind in your hair. Well, and it's an interesting idea to think about integrating exercise, that the same person who might work all day in an office and go and take a spin class could just be commuting to work on their bike and getting the same benefits. I mean, as long as they're staying safe and wearing the right safety helmet. And it's funny that we don't think of it like that. We don't think of it like that, and we don't think of the joy that it used to bring us when we were younger. I mean, people who like to ride bikes, they probably like to ride bikes starting from, you know, the age of five or six. Do you remember that feeling when you first were able to ride a bike, that sense of independence, that you actually didn't have to get your parents to take you somewhere, you could ride your bike? I remember that sense of independence. We already had several children in our family, and I was so happy to leave them all behind until, I must admit, one day I decided to take my little sister on my bike with me, and at that time we weren't wearing helmets, and we took a spill, and boy did my mom get mad, because chewed up my poor little sister's leg, and, but I do, I was so happy to get away from, you know, the things, the, the ties that, that bound. Yeah, and I think that that's something that biking does in particular because you have a sense of speed and you have air and it's just, it's it's exhilarating. And I think when you become a runner that's as skilled as yourself, you can get that, but it's much easier on a bike. It's a real gateway to physical fitness. And many people who've had heart attacks, who've had weight problems, who've had different kinds of health challenges find their way back into some level of fitness with biking. But of course with biking, it helps to have outdoor space. 
Well, I agree. And I know that I personally rehabbed from multiple knee injuries using biking. Um, and I recommend it to my patients who can't run and can't easily walk. So I know that from a health standpoint, a fitness standpoint, that's true. But I also know from a, a getting into the outdoors, as you say, standpoint, it's very important um, that when we are outside, we actually appreciate the, the space around us and we take the time to care for it and we bring f- fresh air into our lungs. There's so many health benefits of being outside. A rigorous bike ride burns, I think, something between 700 and 800 calories per hour. So it's very aerobic. It's very invigorating and aerobic, and it is incredibly healthy cardiovascularly. I I think running maybe and swimming may be the only two sports that kind of match that. And it's also more sometimes more fun because you're changing your venue and your vista at all, all, all the whole time. And there are different ways to bike. You can go out on the road, you can go out on a mountain bike, you can go on different terrains and trails, and you can go to different places. Um, you could do the trek across Maine. There's so many different ways that you could integrate biking into your personal situation. So, And as a family. And like uh, Absolutely, as a family. So today we'll be talking with Brandon Gillard of the Kennebunkport Bicycle Company, Tom Bradbury of the Kennebunkport Conservation Trust, and also Kevin Thomas, publisher of Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, and author of the two most recent 48 Hours post in which he talks about biking. And he's also the producer of our radio show. And he happens to be the producer of our radio show. And Maine Magazine has always been a very generous sponsor of our show as well because Maine Magazine recognizes that the best way to get people to love the state of Maine is to get them out there on their on wheel, on foot, whatever way works. So I'm looking forward to this show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. And as part of their collaboration with us, we offer weekly our Wellness Innovation segment. This week's Wellness Innovation is hunter-gatherers and horticulturists' lifestyle linked to lower blood pressure. Hunter-gatherers and forager horticulturists who live off the land and grow what they need to survive have lower age-related increases in blood pressure and less risk of atherosclerosis, according to two new studies in the American Heart Association journal, Hypertension. High blood pressure and atherosclerosis, a disease in which arteries stiffen and fill with plaque, increase with age in the United States and other countries, raising risk for heart attack, stroke, kidney disease, and death. Age-related increases in blood pressure have been observed in almost every population, except among hunter-gatherers, farmers, and pastoralists. Lifestyle factors specific to hunter-gatherers might explain the minimal increases in blood pressure, which include high physical activity, low stress levels, and potentially protective diets, high in fruits, vegetables, and potassium, and low in calories, salt, and alcohol. For more information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. Today in the studio with us today, we have Brandon Gillard of the Kennebunkport Bicycle Company. I first met Brandon on the 48 Hours Kennebunkport, which uh, is currently available in the main magazine issue for June. And Brandon has a lot of interesting stories to tell, not just about Kennebunkport, but about biking and how to get into biking. So we thought we'd bring him in for our wheel show. Thanks for coming in. Great. Thanks for having me. Brandon, you took me on a ride along with um, Kevin Thomas from Maine Magazine out into the woods uh, in Kennebunkport. Yeah. I think this is a relatively new development that, that, you've, that you've put into place because you're passionate about land preservation. Yeah. So we're going to talk more about that with our next guest. But just tell me why Kennebunkport? Why did you initially decide that this was an important place to be for you? Um, well, I started working at the bike shop uh, while in college, purchased it uh, kind of as I was graduating college, and I've been a mountain biker my whole life. And it always bothered me that we lived in such a beautiful area. There was a great uh, network of um, woods in our area, but there were no trails. Um, so I came from Western Mass, where there were trails everywhere and young people, and it was a really vibrant outdoor community. 
And I moved to Maine, and you think Maine is the most wooded state in the nation, and we didn't have trails. Um, so friends and I uh, slowly started to build trails, some legal, some illegal, and um, ended up forming a partnership with the Kennebunkport Conservation Trust, and it's been a really valuable relationship for both of us ever since. There are a lot of road bikes in yep, our th- area. There are. There, is a, there are a ton of road bikes. There's great road biking. Um, we live in a great area for that. Um, but again, being a mountain biker, um, I always wanted to kind of expand the mountain bike trails in the area. Just describe the difference really quickly for our listeners. Just what does a mountain bike look like compared to a road bike? Uh, the, even the term mountain bike is kind of a, a, a misnomer. Um, a lot of mountain bikes never see a mountain. They're more bicycles built for off-road. So there's all kinds of um, different designs that really run the gamut between bikes with kind of a medium-sized tire with kind of a semi-aggressive tread to bikes with lots of suspension um, with really aggressive tires depending on the kind of terrain that you're going to ride. So um, in our area, a lot of guys ride hardtail mountain bikes. They just have suspension in the front. They've got 29-inch wheels and um, two-and-a-half-inch tires. Um, but I see people out in the woods on hybrid bikes. I see kids on kids' bikes. So the trails have really been created to welcome everybody, not just kind of that hardcore mountain bike population. What was it about mountain biking specifically that caused you to become interested in that versus road biking? Um, I don't know. I think it's maybe the maybe the personalities and the, and the folks involved. Um, it's a very free spirited bunch, but uh, the guys guys and women. It's a lot of women that we ride with that are very very fit. They're very outdoor oriented. Um, we like to go and have a beer after the ride, and it's really informal. Um, the road biking seems to be a lot more um, more of an aerobic exercise. It's much more structured, and they wear really tight clothes, which we don't wear. <laughs> so, so you went towards the non-tight clothes fitting. Yeah, group, I mean, is... not that a lot of the guys we ride with couldn't go on road rides, and some of them even do. When I have in, in the past, but um, it just kind of attracts a different um, crowd typically than the than the road bike crew. But well, and there's a different kind of thrill because the road bike is about speed, but the mountain bike is about terrain. Exactly. Because I used to mountain bike in yeah. California. Yeah. And when I first came to Maine, I didn't think there was mountain biking because there were no mountains. Just to your point. Sure. In um, mountain biking, I kind of describe as a as a combination of like trail running and dancing. Um, it's like a, it, it's really um, it's difficult at times, um, and it is what you make of it. Because if you're going down a, a single track trail, if you're going really fast, obviously it's going to be very difficult. But if you're just poking along, it can be a really recreational um, exercise. That's just nice to forget out in the woods. And when I was doing this, I found that it was about. Um, balance. There was a lot of balance. There was a lot of sort of agility and having to pay attention. And not that road biking wasn't, but sure. is there? You know, there's rocks, there's trees, there's there's a little path, there's a big path. Mm-hmm. And is that hard for people to get used to? Not necessarily. Again, it's um, if you're if you're moving at a slower rate of speed, um, typically those things aren't very challenging for folks. Um, the trails that we've built at the Conservation Trust. Um, we're doing it very strategically in that we're building basic, easier trails on the perimeter, and off of that, we're kind of spider spidering or making lollipop trails off of that that are much more difficult. So we're using those basic kind of roads or double track for our maintenance roads, and uh, if somebody gets hurt, they can be extracted via ATV on kind of the roads. But off of that, there's much more challenging single track trails, and that's really good too because it allows people to kind of work their way up into the sport if they'd like and still be in the same area as some of the more advanced folks. You had a very famous guest that you worked with who mm-hmm. also has a home down in that area. Tell yeah. us about him and your experience, which was profiled in Maine Magazine not too long ago. Uh, several years ago, I was introduced to President uh, George Bush while he was the president um, through the Secret Service. Uh, he was looking to mountain bike in Kennebunkport. So, um, we this s- is George W. Bush. George W., the young one, yep. 43, as we call them. Um, so we've started mountain biking out in Alfred, Maine, uh, because it's a, it's a really large federal piece of land that they could kind of cordon off for him to ride on. But after he got out of office, he was much more flexible. So we've traveled around a little bit to mountain bike. Uh, and his favorite spot is actually in his backyard in Kennebunkport. So uh, while he's here, which is typically four to five weeks a year, we'll ride about five out of seven days of the week. And does he stick to the core trails? Does he go off in the more challenging terrain? Oh, no. He definitely goes on kind of the most uh, 
difficult trails we have. He's a really, really advanced uh, mountain biker. He's extremely competitive and he's extraordinarily fit. Uh, the first time I rode with him, I was blown away that a 60-plus-year-old man was kicking my butt on a mountain bike. So uh, we're pretty evenly matched now, but uh, I really enjoy riding with him. For people who are going down to the Kennebunkport Festival or going down to Kennebunk and want to rent a bike, can they do that from you? Yeah, or? they can do it from our shop. Uh, we have hybrid bikes, road bikes, kids' bikes, mountain bikes, kind of everything under the sun uh, involved with a mountain bike. Um, I'd suggest them going out to Ocean Avenue and a Cape Porpoise out by the Bushes place. Really nice um, road riding out there. Uh, if they wanted to take a mountain bike, I could give them a map, a helmet, and point them in the right direction, which I'd suggest. And what is the etiquette of mountain biking? Etiquette? I don't know. Um, treat people the way you want to be treated, just kind of like in life. Um, there's all kinds of rules of the trail and stuff, but a lot of them are just common sense. You don't want to fly up behind somebody hiking or somebody with a dog and spook them. Uh, you want to stay out of environmentally sensitive areas like swamps or really muddy areas and just be polite and courteous and take any trash you have with you. I know that you moved your business from one place to another yeah. and then there's you've been expanding and, yeah. and things are going pretty well for you. Sure. Has this surprised you that people have embraced the biking um, type of world that you espouse? Absolutely. Uh, for several years, uh, the business grew, but it, it wasn't by leaps and bounds by any means. But I really feel like there's a groundswell in our society, especially in Maine, of outdoor-oriented, fitness-oriented people that just want to get out and have fun with their friends and family. So it's a really good time to be in the bike business, and it's a really good time to be in Kennebunkport as well with all the expansion and growth and development of outdoor activities. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth. Accounting and business management services, payroll, and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. How young and how old do you have people coming in as customers? Oh, all ages, really. I have a nine-year-old daughter who loves mountain biking. Um, I mountain bike with the president who's 65. Um, there's a lot of guys that ride with us in their late 50s. And uh, I see people out there in their 70s. And that's the great thing about mountain biking, uh, is that you can really be any age, pretty much any fitness level, and you can make of it what you want it to be. It doesn't have to be flying over roots and rocks and crashing and getting bloody. Um, road bikers always give us a hard time and say, oh, you guys are crazy, you're crazy. I say, what? I top out at about 10 miles an hour, and you guys are going 30 in this cars and pavement and everything else. If we tip over, we land in dirt or into a tree. So um, it, it's a really fun, family-oriented activity that I encourage everybody to try. So aside from a helmet, I assume that's mandatory, mm -hmm. right? Is there any other gear beside the bike and the helmet? Um, yeah, you know, I, I'd suggest uh, bike shorts, padded bike shorts, um, to keep your bottom uh, comfortable. Uh, wicking clothing, some gloves, and um, maybe cycling shoes and pedals if you get a little bit more advanced. Uh, obviously, hydration is key, nutrition, so probably uh, some kind of hydration pack with some food and water in it as well. And um, ideally, people should be able to fix their own bikes if they're in the woods, but with the uh, this modern age with cell phones, people don't always have to do that, so they can just call somebody if they have to. So, Talk to us about equipment. I know that there's a broad range of prices on bikes. Do people have to buy very expensive bikes in order to go mountain biking? Absolutely not. Um, I see people out in the woods having a really good time on old $300 beat-up uh, Marins by Sammy Hagar. But uh, there's also really advanced, really high-end mountain bikes, just like anything else, just like skis or golf clubs. There's people that get really into it and spend a lot of money. Um, to comfortably enjoy mountain biking, I'd say an initial bicycle investment of about $500 or so, and probably another $100 to $200 in gear after that. Um, a lot of the more advanced guys um, have no problem spending two, three, four, eight thousand dollars on bicycles. But again, that's their form of recreation. It's their passion, and um, that's what they do. The thing I like about mountain biking is that sense of play 
that you get. I think that when you ride a road bike, that feels a little bit more like you said, like exercise or work, or you have you're getting from one destination to another. I feel like when I'm on a mountain bike, it's more like it was when I was a kid, and I would pop up the curb or go across the grass, yeah. or that there's a joy in it. Yeah, that's really well said, and uh, I guess I don't really think about that very often. That, but that's probably what I enjoy about mountain biking uh, the most. You know, being a kid and riding around and having absolutely no destination. Um, we often go in circles and have a great time and do a trail a different direction or at a different speed or hit a different jump. Um, but I really enjoy that sense of adventure and the peacefulness you get in the woods and also the camaraderie you get with your friends out in the woods. I would agree with that, that sense of joy. There's also there's also somewhat of a sense of terror at times, <laughs> my, my experience was. Um, but, but it's fun. It's very interesting. It kind of pushes your edges, especially if you're a little bit older. How do you deal with people and their sense of terror? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, if, if I take a beginner out mountain biking, which I often do as part of our guided tours through the bike shop, um, I just try to go slow. I try to talk to them. I try to help them relax. And I would by no means take them on some of the more difficult terrain or kind of the expert trails. Um, but just I try to tell them that they need to make of it what they want it to be. They don't have to be flying. There's no expectations. And let's just go out and have fun and ride bikes. And I can attest to that because I know I have, I think that I had been out mount, mountain biking, well, exactly zero times. <laughs> you did great, though. You did I, great. Okay, thank you. And But you brought us on a very appropriate trail. It was just challenging enough, so I didn't feel like you were babying me, but it wasn't so hard that I felt like I was going to die. You. And, and you stopped often. And, yeah. I, and I think that that sort of guidance that you have available to your customers is very useful, as well as it, it's a beautiful trail system. It really is. Thanks. And you spent a lot of time working with volunteers on that. Yep. Um, there's a core group of us of about four or five that get the majority of the work done. We also have trail weekends or we'll reach out to people via text or email or phone um, as we need help on bigger projects. Um, to date, there's about 15 miles of trails out there. And about four years ago, there was about two miles of trails. And that's really um, four or five people doing all that. One of the things that keeps people from exercising is being overweight. Is that a con consideration with a beginner who wants to bike? Because, for instance, they might not be able to run because it's painful on their sure. knees, but they might bike, yeah. which can be a great gateway to yeah. physical fitness. Um, there's a tremendous amount of our customers that come in to try either mountain biking or road biking or just around town kind of biking um, that are sent to us by physicians because cycling is such a low-impact activity. Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned about somebody being overweight in mountain biking. Um, again, it's so low impact, it's it's easy to do, and it doesn't you leave you with joint pains or anything else. And you're not going to break the bike. And you're not going to break the bike. These bikes um, are, are rated to handle uh, a lot of pressure, a lot of weight, uh, jumps, etc. Um, obviously, if you go out and buy a $100 big box store bicycle, it's probably not going to be the best thing for you. You're not going to enjoy yourself. But I'd go into a local bike shop, establish a relationship with somebody that works there, and they'll pick a bike that is strong enough for your size and is uh, capable of handling what you want to do with it. We've talked about the trails in the Kennebunkport, Kennebunk area. What are some of your other favorite trails in Maine or elsewhere? Uh, my old stomping grounds in Western Mass are a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of places out west uh, that are really nice, Moab, Utah, um, and actually in the Las Vegas area there's some great trails as well. They're very different than New England mountain biking. Um, Mount Agameticus in York is really nice. Um, Bradbury Mountain in Pownall is really nice. A little crowded, but that's nice. But I really don't leave my backyard all that much. It's hard to when you have, to get, have such phenomenal trails two miles from your house and don't even have to get in a car. So um, those are really my favorite trails. So you don't find... Well, let me rephrase this. So you find enough variety in the trails in your own backyard as the ch seasons change so that it so that you it's constantly new for you. Yeah, and also there's a sense of pride um, about riding your own trails and seeing people out there, families, everybody from different walks of life, and when they recognize you, they'll say thank you or uh, just see them enjoying it. There's a whole other side of the joy of mountain biking that I get by riding my trails and seeing other people enjoying them. Has your experience with the store integrated into your personal life? Do you use bikes more to commute and... Yeah, you know, um, like a lot of small business people, I got into my business because it was my passion, not because I had an MBA or I wanted to make millions of dollars. Um, I like people. I like bicycles. I'm a very family-oriented person. Um, my kids and my family helped me a lot in my business. And, um, 
Yeah, so it's definitely, I'm like the bike guy in Kenny Bunkport, which is a little hard when you're trying to go grocery shopping sometimes on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but I really enjoy it. I love our community. It's very small. It's very tight-knit. We don't lock our doors. We don't lock our cars. It's a, it's a great place to live and to share the, our, our love and passion of cycling with the community. And it's, an, it's a fun contrast because a lot of people think of Kenny Bunk, Kenny Bunkport as beaches, as mm-hmm. water, as ocean, and you're bringing them sort of back into the woods. Absolutely, yeah. But a lot of times we do a ride Wednesday nights where we'll hit a bunch of the different trails. We'll stop at the ramp for a beer or two, um, take a look at the ocean, and head back into the woods again. So uh, that variance of having uh, or that variety of the terrain in our landscape is, is what makes our area so special. And again, the access to outdoors, to be able to go on a mountain bike ride and then in two miles take a dip in the ocean is a lot of fun too. Any last thoughts for our listeners who might be thinking about taking up whether it's mountain biking or road biking or? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be intimidated. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be afraid to try it. Uh, I'd encourage you to go to your local bike shop and support them and ask them where local uh, trails are. I'd also encourage them, if you're into mountain biking, to support your local um, trail or uh, Uh, conservation group because they do a lot a lot for outdoor recreation well thanks for coming in and talking to us Um, we've been speaking with brandon gillard of the kenny bunkport bicycle company where can people learn more about your store uh check us out on facebook or you can go to uh, kennybunkportbicycle.com all right guys thanks for having me a chronic ache sleepless nights a feeling of something being not quite right treat the symptoms with traditional medications, feel better for a little while, and continue with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think. And when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, the sleeplessness, and not quite right come back. They don't have to. You can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belisle and learn how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, call the Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. On today's Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, our theme is wheels, and we spent time previously with Brandon Gillard of the Kenny Bunkport Bicycle Company, who led us into a conversation that we're going to have next with Tom Bradbury of the Kenny Bunkport Conservation Trust. Tom Bradbury is the executive director of the Kenny Bunkport Conservation Trust and has worked closely with Brandon to develop an extensive series of trails right in the Kenny Bunkport area. So thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tom, you and I were talking before we got on air about um, your house in Cape Porpoise and the fact that you're living in a place where your grandfather or maybe a great-grandfather, somebody way, way back. Way, way back. Way, way back used to live. Tell me about that. Well, we live in the same neighborhood. My my mother grew up about uh, 200 yards toward the center of town, and then her father grew up 200 yards on the other direction. She kind of migrated right into the middle, which was where I was born. So, so we move about at the same pace as uh, continental shift. We figure it's about one foot per year. <laughs> this, uh, so, so your family should in be... In the 200 years we've been around there, it's, we've moved about 200 feet. So... So uh, in another few thousand years, maybe you'll be up to Portland, or we've if if we survive that long, we may or may not because we tend to shift right back to where where we started out. So, well, so does this is this the reason why you were interested in developing the Kenny Bunkport Conservation Trust? The sense of belonging. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we we uh, in the late '80s, um, a lot of properties started to be threatened. And a lot of those properties were places that we really loved, places that we played on. And um, a lot of us couldn't stand to see them being lost uh, for people's enjoyment. And so uh, we started purchasing them. And a lot of others were donated to us. And 
uh, it was originally going to be like one island and then another one came up and well then maybe we should do another island and then the beach had some opportunities so we thought we'd get that so uh, we went from three properties to now uh, we're we're approaching a hundred transactions in that course of time so so our goal was to to set aside those places that uh, were the were made up of the those places that made the essential character of our community and and places that people could access uh, different recreational opportunities, places where people could play on and and scenic vistas. Describe the essential character. What is the essential character of Kennebunk, Kennebunkport, Cape Porpoise, which is I know the suburb that you sort of live in? It's uh, it's a rural main town, and the the town that I grew up in was even more rural than it is today, and. Uh, it had its islands and it, it has its lobstering harbor and the harbor still remains a working lobsterman's harbor. And, and it has uh, a local beach and it also has a fairly large amount of woodlands that most people don't associate with the town. And so what we've tried to do is, is take a good representative sample of all of those and have them available for the next generation. Have you found in your purchasing of these lands a tension between places that people want to remain forever wild and places that people can recreate on? Because I know that with easements and those kinds of, of transactions, sometimes that is a, a tension. Uh, we've had remarkable support. In fact, the, the uh, property that Brandon talked about in terms of the trails for biking uh, a good portion of that was given to us by the citizens of Kennebunkport. That was known as the town forest and was uh, it was taken over by the town for lack of paying taxes after the 1947 fire. And uh, maybe 10 years ago now, we approached the town and asked them if they wouldn't consider giving it to the trust so that we could spend some time trying to enhance it, uh, improve access and and create something special from it. And it was, it was an over 80% vote to donate 600 acres of town land to, a, to the Conservation Trust. So I think that's uh, pretty remarkable support. Tell me what types of things the, your organization does for the community. I mean, there, we talked about land, but from what I understand, there are our community um, things that are going on all the time that are promoted by the Kennebunk Park Conservation Trust. When we started out, we've, we asked the community to support us in order to purchase properties or to gather properties. And, and so we use the community to, to uh, create a collection of special places. And now we're trying to use those special places to build a, the community. And, and so um, we've been, we put aside just uh, a vast collection of, vast is too big a term, a wide selection of, of properties that really represent the whole community so that people can, can go to the islands and, and uh, picnic uh, their islands that are used for camping. The, the local beach is a good portion of that we own, and we own uh, wooded lands that both serve as as um, recreational hiking, biking type areas, but also as wildlife corridors. Our show is about wheels, bicycles, and and one of the things that that biking does is kind of keep urban sprawl to a minimum. Do you find that open space helps contain communities in in, in a good sense, and that really localize them? I mean, do you have when you're talking about the wildlife corridors? I mean, there's sort of a green belt effect that starts to happen. Is that correct? That's right. That's and one of the early on in the 80s, one of the thoughts we were working, uh, there was a development boom going on at the time. And, and so there were a lot of initiatives in a lot of different ways that, that tried to uh, keep the town as close to what it was as we could. And, and politically, one of the things that was tried was through zoning. And, and oftentimes, the in, Tent or the idea was that that maybe if we created uh, larger house lots for properties, that this would keep density down, 
And what it in fact did was spread people out and, and uh, be counterproductive. And what the trust has tried to do is, is buy contiguous pieces of property so that, so that there are kind of common areas for people and uh, places that everyone can enjoy. And it has a side effect, I think, in, in terms of building community in that, in that one of the things that separates people a lot of time is that as new people with new values perhaps move into a place, there's a tendency uh, for them to, to uh, reflect values from where they came from. And some of these are, are nobody's fault or, or not even ill will. It's just just the way it is. And so, and so you're apt to get like places where that was that were traditional recreational areas all of a sudden have no trespassing signs or or um, this path that was always used is lo no longer available to people. So so in one sense what we're what we're doing in terms of protecting those common areas makes it a lot easier to adopt new people to the town because they're not taking anything away from anybody. They're just joining us and hopefully joining us in our efforts to f further protect uh, what they thought enough of to move to. Which is the essence of conservation. Exactly. Preserving that traditional use. Yeah. Right. And it, and it also helps in that, in, in building community, because if they're, if they're not posing a threat to what is or, or what will be, then, then it's a lot easier for people to adopt into the, into the culture of the town. Turn to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsor, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, makers of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. I've spent time in Kennebunk, Kennebunkport, Cape Porpoise, and, and I do have this sense it's a very unique um, place. It's a blend of people who have come from away, people who have lived there a very long time. But there is a sense for, of caring for one another. Do you think that this sense of caring for one another and actually knowing your neighbors, whether they live there for a part of the time, uh, part of the year, part of, you know, or full time, do you think that that has helped you with the Kennebunkport conservation project? No, no question. I think those that move there, um, they love seeing it as a working fishing harbor and they love the access to special places and and they love the opportunity to be able to bike or hike or or enjoy uh, the community and so they come they come knowing what it is and and uh, appreciating what they've moved to and and that makes it that much easier to attract them to what what we're trying to do Describe some of the changes that you've seen in your lifetime to this area. You've lived there your entire life, correct? Yes. So tell me some of the changes, good and bad, that you've seen. Um, it's the, the largest changes probably are the, are the, uh, the wealth that's come to the community. Uh, in, in, when I grew up, it was, it was a small fishing village, and it, and it had a busy summer as all of Maine does, so that there were, there were a lot more people in the summer, but at Labor Day, past noon, the streets were empty, and, and the businesses would close, and they'd hold parties, after-season parties on Labor Day, and that doesn't happen anymore uh, because the, the season has ex continues to extend uh, right through Christmas now and starts up earlier. And the, and the homes were typically... Uh, fishermen working families for the most part in in my part of the town and you could tell the difference between a a fishing family and a, a new family to town because the picture window would be faced over the cove when somebody new to the town came whereas before it was facing the street because when the lobstermen came home they didn't need to look out on the water they'd been there all day long so so as um, today there are a lot more picture windows overlooking the harbor but it, um, but the feel of the town, surprisingly, even though uh, the native population is is few, is still remarkably 
the same just because of what you talked about. It's it the people that have arrived really care for the community and they care for the way it looks and the and the feel of it and and it is neighborly. What were some of your favorite activities? Did you bike when you were younger, or what were some of your favorite Kenny Bunk Kenny Bunkport area activities? My biking was a Schwinn with baseball cards with clothespins so attached that, to the wheels for so they made that nice noise for, for effect. Yes, um, Brandon would love it, but uh, we were. It was a, a much different dynamic because uh, when I grew up, our parents would say. Uh, leave the house and I don't want to see you until supper time. And so we were we were on our own all day long. And so uh, we played a lot of sports and we did a lot of exploring. So so we were on the islands a lot and we were in the back cove and, and we were in the woods and and uh, we were using our imaginations a lot for uh, for all of our activities. So so that fostered the love of the places that that uh, we later tried to protect. And do you feel that that, um, that love of place is something that you're now offering to the next generation with the work that you're doing? That's what we're trying to do. And that's, that's probably the most important thing we will do now. Because um, what, what's happening today is, is really almost the opposite of that, is uh, there's very little free time now it's it's structured play and structured activities and um not not as much or far less exploration than before and one of the concerns from the environmental side is that that if you don't love a place and know a place then then there's no incentive for protecting it later on and we were motivated by the fact that that these places might be lost, but now that they're protected and in a trust, they don't have that threat to face. So, so it's going to be strictly love of place that will motivate the next generation to take over what we've protected and to carry it forward. So, um, getting kids and and people in general onto the onto the properties we think is essential. Have you spent time on the bike trails yourself on a bike? Uh, not on a bike, but on the trails significant amount of time I guess and and um, we th we thought that was just a fabulous partnership because they had a uh, everything we do is is based on uh, volunteers so we have a staff of two and and the rest of it is is um, people that are willing to spend their free time helping us with different projects and the, the trails are a perfect example of what can be done when people take up an interest in it and, and chip in uh, because um, it's, it's nearly 10 miles of trails in that one property now that were all constructed by volunteers and, and they're over there today. They, they're typically there four or five days a week working um, mostly mornings but having fun creating something that's very special that's enjoyed by by a lot of people. So from what you're saying, it's not just about the money that you need to raise to buy the land. It's also about creating caretakers, a community of caretakers for the land itself. I think the caretakers are apt to be more challenging than the money. Of, of all of the lots that we've protected, I think um, we might have purchased 15 or 20 of them. And the, and the rest were donated because uh, what you talked about earlier in terms of sense of community, w people love the place that they grew up and, and, and they want others to share it, share that love with them. And so a surprising number of properties were given to us just out of that. And, and obviously fundraising is a part of part of the business side of it but but the, that only allows us to protect the property it doesn't get us the trails or the access or the or the involvement with people that that brings life to the organization and what you've done in your collaboration with Brandon is a great example of how open space 
preserved can actually serve as a, a beacon for a younger generation to come in establish a business practice. And I'm always interested in Kennebunkport how even though the um, fishing community is, has its challenges now, the ethos, that sort of main individual work ethic, is very alive and well. And people are very independent and entrepreneurial. And by creating a community where people want to live, you then have this intergenerational energy that exists. And, and the trust, and it's also intercultural uh, energy as well, I think. It's, it's, it's fun to see that the organization attracts the, the local lobstermen, the local businessmen, the, the um, people that have retired here recently, and, and it, it provides something common that they all can identify with and enjoy. And, I, and I, again, I think it adds in, in creating a community. And what we're trying to do now, in addition to that, are children's programs that 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 bring them to a lot of uh, places that we own, to to start them off early, uh, knowing where their what their hometown is all about, and giving them a sense of place. And um, so often, kids are are kind of uh, they're always on the go, and and too often they're a multi-family. Uh, uh, instances where where they may not know ex exactly where home is, and and what we're trying to do is foster a spirit of of knowing that this is your hometown, this is where you're from, and and hopefully the values will will flow out of that. And they'll open up a business there someday. <laughs> I hope so. Tom, where can people find out more about the Kenny Bunkport Conservation Trust? Uh, you can go onto our website, uh, kporttrust.org, and um, you can email uh, me at tom at kctoffice.com, and we'd be happy to send out materials and, and uh, any information that we can provide. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today about the Kenny Bunkport Conservation Trust and the work you've been doing and the work you've been doing in collaboration with Brandon Gillard of the Kenny Bunkport Bicycle Company. We appreciate your time. Great. Thank you very much. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepard Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepard Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepardfinancialmaine.com. On today's show, we've been talking about the subject of wheels, where you get around in the outside, you get around the state of Maine, and the perfect person to talk to on this subject is Kevin Thomas, who is the publisher of Maine Magazine and Maine Home and Design, and author of both the June and July 48 Hours Maine pieces, in which he describes his biking around Maine. So thanks for being here, Kevin. Glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. And I have with me Genevieve Morgan, who, uh, as you know, writes for your magazine. We love Jen. Well, I love Jen, too. And one of the reasons I love Jen is that she's able to take this really broad view of wellness. I also like the fact that Maine Magazine has taken a very broad view of wellness. 48 Hours Maine has done just that. You've, you've sort of sent people out into the, into the world to become more well that way. We have. We decided that it would be a great experience for our staff to get out into the marketplace and experience the town on their own rather than interpret that through a writer. Tell me about your biking experiences in Kennebunkport and in Acadia, which is described in the upcoming articles. Well, I've only been on two of the 48-hour excursions, and on both of those excursions, I wanted to do something physical that some of the other uh, participants maybe hadn't done in the past. And our first um, 48 hours for myself was in Kennebunkport, and we teamed up with Brendan Gillard from Kennebunkport Bicycle, um, who took us out to the Conservation Trust land. And Acadia is very mountainous compared to Kennebunkport, so how is that? Acadia was fantastic. Uh, we rode the, the carriage roads in, in uh, Acadia, 
we had to ride the roads, the, the asphalt roads for a ways to get to them. But that experience was amazing. It was 12 foot wide, graveled, well-maintained roads. It was more mountainous, um, but it also was much wider than the very narrow trails and the boulders that we're climbing on in Kennebunkport. So people can read about the Kennebunkport one in the June issue, which is out on the stands now, and then the Bar Harbor 48 Hours, which will be out on the stands in July. That is correct. And interestingly, the carriage trails in Acadia were built by the Rockefellers before there were cars allowed on Mount Desert Island. So there's the reason for the wide wideness. And bike riding has really taken the park by storm. I, I visit Acadia a lot in the summer, and the difference between the hikers and the bikers, biking is far more popular now than it used to be. So in your article, will people find out where they can bike in Acadia? Well, they will find out one of the places they can bike. There's so many that I wasn't able to do it during uh, all the trails during our, our trip. But uh, there is a, a route around mountain that we took that was absolutely gorgeous, and we saw a lot of Acadia from that. How arduous was it for you? Well, the return was somewhat tough. and We, we drove, uh, rode to Northeast Harbor, which was two and a half hours, and stopped and took a break there, and then had to get the bikes back by 4.30. So the, the, the return back two hours was a sprint, and my thighs were burning. But it was a great way to see Acadia. This all really comes from an experience I had a few years ago in, on uh, Islesboro, where I had gone with my kids and wanted to explore the island. And I set out to explore it via car and realized I really wasn't seeing all the island. Neither did I have time to walk it or run it, so I pulled my bike off my car, and I bo- biked around the island and was able to go down all these great dirt roads and down toward the beach. I was able to experience a lot more of the island than I would have ever been able to experience in a car or have time to on foot. So for our listeners out there, regardless of their fitness level, going out and grabbing a bike or taking the bike out of the garage or renting one at the local bike shop can be a great alternative to exploring their community. Absolutely. I, I think that for me, it was a return back to my childhood days where we pulled the bike out of the garage to go visit our friends. And it was a casual, great experience. Um, sometimes we all get caught up with needing to take a 50 mile bike ride and get the exercise. And we forget about the opportunity to get some great exercise, but also enjoy the scenery. And that's what I'd encourage everybody to do, regardless of fitness level. Speaking of 50 mile bike rides, you've also done the trek across Maine, correct? I did do the trek across Maine. That was several years ago with a group of friends from Cape Elizabeth. Uh, They all trained. I did not. Uh, But it was really a remarkable experience. We started in Bethel. And as you probably are aware, at least that year, it ended at the Owl's Head Transportation Center in Rockland, I guess. So people are able to get out and sort of ride across the state of Maine if they're at that upper level of fitness, or even if they're not, because there's multiple stops along the way. Well, at least that was was another amazing experience. Um, There were a great number of riders for that um, that trek. And they were everyone from um, people that biked for OA uh, to kids on banana bikes. Um, just really a remarkable experience to see families going down the road and then uh, a, a group of uh, expert bikers biking past. Which is great. So you can... So what you've described to us now is sort of the full gamut of biking, going out in the woods, going up to Acadia, the woods of Kennebunkport, going up to Acadia and doing Bar Harbor, and even going all the way across the state. So we think you're sort of personifying what you're talking about in your magazine. I'm not sure that I would say I'm personifying, but I'm certainly exploring a lot of Maine via bike and foot. Well, we appreciate your taking the time to come in and talk to us today, and um, thanks for all the work you're doing to bring a positive focus to wellness in the state of Maine. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Jen. I really enjoyed this. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available when you are. You can listen at your computer through the Dr. Lisa website, doctorlisa.org, or you can enjoy while walking, running, biking, or driving by downloading a podcast onto your iPod or smartphone. Here is an excerpt from one of our past shows featuring an interview with Angus King. Uh, I've come to realize how vulnerable Maine is in terms of energy. To be honest, it wasn't a big focus when I was governor. Gasoline was 90 cents a gallon in my last couple of years in office, so it wasn't something we really looked at. But I've come to realize how vulnerable we are because something like 85 or 90 percent of all the energy used in Maine comes from fossil fuels, almost 80 percent from oil, of which we have zip, zero. That makes us incredibly vulnerable, not only in terms of supply of just plain running out, but also price. Uh, every time, here's an easy calculation. You drive down, you look at the, how much gasoline is. 
every time gasoline goes up 10 cents or home heating oil 10 cents, that's $100 million a year out of the main economy, 10 cents. A dollar, which it's gone up in the past year or so, is a billion dollars a year that just evaporates out of the main economy. And it's money that people don't have to spend at stores and at, you know, at the mall or going to the movies or anything else. It's an enormous economic impact. So, you know, my conclusion from that is we got to do something. And if I'm if there's any one characteristic I have, it's like I like doing things and not talking about things. And that's what led Rob Gardner and I to go into wind power. Well, and wind power happens to be something we have. We, we're not lucky enough to be, you know, over a big pot of oil or natural gas. And uh, hydropower and wind power are the indigenous, and, and wood, wood pellets and, and biomass, that's what we have. And, and uh, I found a wonderful speech by uh, Joshua Chamberlain when he was governor in 1867. And he's talking to the Maine legislature, and he has this, he was an incredible writer, and he talks about uh, there is in Maine power to the millions of horsepowers that now passes unfettered to the sea. And he's talking about the rivers, the hydropower. And this was 1867 when they were just figuring out how to tap hydropower. And basically he was saying, this is something we have and we should take advantage of it. And to me, wind power is, about, is the same idea. It's, it's, it, we have the biggest wind resource in New England. Is it a panacea? Is it, can it supply all our power? Absolutely not. But it's part of the solution. And um, we Americans tend to look for one big solution, the silver bullet, you know, that's going to solve everything. My friend Laurie Lachance at, up in Augusta at the Maine Development Foundation coined the term silver buckshot, which I like much better because that's how you solve problems is with a lot of smaller answers which added together get us out of a particular dilemma. And this energy thing, I mean, the long term, and I don't know whether that's three years, five years, ten years, but the long term is, is the definition of unsustainable. We often don't think that way. We say, well, we don't want wind power. Okay, we don't want wind power. And you think, okay, I'm saying no to wind power. But really what you're doing when you say that is, we're saying yes to oil, or yes to natural gas, or yes to nuclear. You're, you're, you're not, it, 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 it is a choice. And that's what I say to people, you know, I, there are lots of opponents of wind power, and I say, sure, if you don't like wind power, tell me what you want. Because there is no, no impact solution to a problem of this magnitude. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 39, Wheels, which aired for the first time on June 10th, 2012 on WLOB Radio. For more information on the guests on our show, visit doctorlisa.org. Please take the time to let us know what you think and perhaps make suggestions for future shows. Also, become a podcast subscriber and have our show delivered regularly into your inbox by going to iTunes, Dr. Lisa Belial, and Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. Subscribe to our e-news, like us on Facebook, and become a part of our community. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Jane Pate. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. And tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m., or streaming 
wlobradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.